I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue if you dare. Well met, fellow travelers. I bid thee welcome to episode two of Agoraphobia 2019. Today we will be regaled by two Agoraphobia veterans. First, Stephen Guerra, of the History of the Papacy podcast, opens up about a personal experience with the supernatural in a town seemingly destined to create restless spirits. Hi, I'm Steve, and I host two podcasts, The History of the Papacy and Beyond the Big Screen. Now, I like a scary Halloween story as much as the next guy, and this one is not only a ghost story, but it is also true. For many people, there isn't anything more scary or spooky than Pennsylvania. Not only Pennsylvania, but the deep, dark recesses of the northeastern section of Pennsylvania known as the Poconos. For the record, I am not the type of podcast host who shares a lot of personal stories about my family, kids, personal opinions about controversial topics, and all of that. In my podcast, I stick to the content at hand for the most part. I am also not one to believe in ghost stories and the like. I never go on ghost tours when I'm on a trip or anything like that. I'm one of the most cynical people you are likely to meet. The story today is inspired by an event that happened to me while on a trip to the northeastern Pennsylvania town of Jim Thorpe. Some of the background I learned while there and afterwards of why my cynicism for all things spectral and haunted might be misplaced. 
Jim Thorpe is called the gateway to the Poconos, and that is more than just a tourist marketing slogan. The town is located quite centrally. It is about a half an hour's drive from Center City, Philadelphia, and a little more than that to Manhattan. The original raison d'etre of the town was as a rail and transportation junction to get the valuable coal of the region to the booming industrial age factories of New York, Pennsylvania, Allentown, and Bethlehem, and even beyond. As the rail infrastructure evolved in Jim Thorpe, you could get a train to just about anywhere in the northeastern U.S. and beyond from that town. The town is situated in a valley between two ridges along the Lehigh River, a tributary of the Delaware River. You really almost get the sense of a European town in Jim Thorpe. Locals call it the Switzerland of America, with maybe just a little bit of hyperbole. The old town, if you will, is built right into the surrounding ridges. There is an economy of space you rarely see in American cities. There is almost no parking in the old town. The buildings are built almost right up to the street, and the backyards, if you can even call them that, are steep walls of rock and foundations of the buildings above them. Situated in the center of town is a place called the Inn at Jim Thorpe. The inn is a bit of a splurge for a one-tank trip vacation. It's a New Orleans-style hotel with a series of balconies on the second level and an old-time charm. The original inn was built back in 1853. There are more modern and more modestly priced accommodations not far away, but this time we were willing to push our usual hotel budgets because the place is so interesting and unique. That gets to the ghost story and how a complete non-believer in ghost stories started to have his opinion changed. We visit the Poconos quite often, almost yearly, to see good friends who live in the region. Normally, we either stay with our friends or in one of the chain hotels a bit closer to their house. We would often visit Jim Thorpe, though, and say, Oh, next time, let's stay in the inn. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well... This was the first trip we had taken as a family after my son was born a few months earlier. At this point, he was about seven months old or so. It was in the middle of summer and quite hot. As many of you know, traveling with a baby is like traveling with three or four extra adults. After I lugged in all that luggage from the only parking spot several blocks away, we all settled in. My son in the foldable pack-and-play crib, my daughter reading as usual, and my wife checking her phone and unwinding after a long drive, and the effort of getting everything and everyone moved and settled. Everyone just resting in the room. We all knew this hotel had a reputation for being haunted. It even said on the website, Haunted. And it is one of those kitschy things about the town, like the piece of anthracite coal in the main street the size of an SUV. You know, we got a good laugh spooking my seven-year-old daughter about staying in a haunted hotel. She got the cynical gene from mom and dad because she thought it was funny too and didn't particularly believe. Not for long, though. Not for any of us. As we were relaxing and watching a bit of TV... Before we were going to meet up with our friends for dinner, something very odd happened. 
an unused glass was sitting on the cabinet next to the TV. By all observation, the cabinet was completely level and normal in every way. All of a sudden, the glass slowly slid across the entire cabinet, off the edge, did a 360 in the air, and landed right side up on the carpet. There was not a conceivable way for that to physically happen, I swear. We all saw it. It wasn't just me. There was a chorus of, oh my god, and how did that happen? It was just beyond belief. What that heavy glass did just doesn't naturally occur. Okay, we were definitely creeped out, but we were all willing to just chalk it up to one of those weird things, you know? Like, it's weird and it happens. The next incident's a different story altogether, though. As we were getting ready to leave, I went to the bathroom to brush my teeth. This is an old hotel. The HVAC never works quite right in those old hotels. It's either too hot, too cold. In this case, it was the former. It was a really hot summer, and the AC was doing everything it could to keep up. But it wasn't quite cooling down the room. Just not nearly enough. It was definitely warm in the room. While rinsing at the sink, I felt a cold hand brush down my arm and my leg. I let out a shriek and ran out of the bathroom. There was no way it was a sudden blast of cold air conditioning or the shower curtain inadvertently swiping by me from a breeze or a draft or anything that you could explain. It was completely unmistakably a cold hand that touched my arm and my leg. I was so thoroughly creeped out, I was ready to get the hell out of that room and possibly that hotel. The creepiness doesn't even end there. My wife needed to ask the front desk reception worker a quick question about parking or something like that. As we were waiting in the line behind an older couple, we could hear them complaining about how they came back to their room after a long day of hiking and... The bathtub was filling up with steaming hot water. The entire room was steamed out, but the tub had not overflowed. And as I said, they weren't there the entire day. So it wasn't like they had turned on the bathtub earlier in the day and let it overflow because it would have overflowed at the, during that time. And housekeeping hadn't checked in on the room. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. There's a lot of really creepy stuff going on. Now, fortunately, the rest of the trip was paranormal and supernatural free, but my skepticism was severely eroded during that trip. If you know a little bit about the history of the town of Jim Thorpe and the surrounding Carbon County, it might not come as a shock as to why this small town in Pennsylvania coal country might be haunted. Before we go too far, a good question is, how did a small tiny hamlet in the middle of Pennsylvania, which has been in existence since the very early 19th century, get named after an athlete who lived in the early 20th century? That's a sad story in and of itself. Jim Thorpe is undisputedly one of the best American athletes of all time. Any sport he played in, he dominated. Olympic, track and field, baseball, football, basketball. 
I bet you he could have picked up a ping pong paddle and won a few tournaments just for fun. He also faced a great deal of racism as a Native American, and that is one of the reasons he never found the financial success that he probably would have otherwise, along with professional sports being much less lucrative in that time than it is now, even despite the fame that he held. When Thorpe died in the early 1950s, his wife didn't have the means to even ship his remains back to his hometown in Oklahoma for burial. So the town and the state planned on paying for the arrangements and for a proper memorial for Jim Thorpe. Unfortunately, they weren't able to come up with the money quickly enough, and Thorpe's wife was concerned he would wind up being laid to rest in an unmarked pauper's grave. Thorpe's wife floated out there to some other locations if they were willing to put up the money for a proper memorial. It just so happened the town of Mach Chunk in Pennsylvania coal country was looking for some rebranding in the early 1950s. The government of Ma Chunk not only would pay for a memorial, they would rename their town after Jim Thorpe. What a deal. It didn't really matter that Jim Thorpe himself likely never set play- foot anywhere near this town. The closest of him being near there was when he was a student at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is about a hundred miles away. The Indian Industrial Schools is another sad story in American history that adds another layer of, of sorrow to this particular story. A town with fading fortunes tried to use the renown of a famous sports hero to buoy its economic lot. Then for all that, there was a protracted legal battle about 10 years ago over repatriating Jim Thorpe's body to Oklahoma under the Federal Native American Graves and Repatriation Act. The fight went all the way through the federal courts, but the United States Supreme Court chose not to hear the case, which leaves Jim Thorpe's remains in Jim Thorpe for the foreseeable future. If a fight over the final remains of a celebrity isn't enough for a proper haunting, the real paranormal activity could derive from the fact that seven men were hanged a quick five-minute walk away from the inn at Jim Thorpe. This is the case of the Molly Maguires. The story of the Molly Maguires is a long one and has a number of twists and turns. The Pinkerton Detective Agency was involved, the early labor movement, Irish immigration, and the twists and the turns of 19th century politics would all play their part. The long and the short of the story is that over the course of a few short years, a number of Irish immigrants were convicted of various crimes including murder. Many of the men convicted were certainly innocent, while some of them may not have been. You can visit the jail and see the place where one of the convicted Molly Maguires, one Alexander Campbell, made a handprint on the wall of his cell with the dirt from the floor. It is told that Campbell said that the handprint will be on that wall for all time to remember him and the injustice that he faced before he stepped to the gallows. Campbell is reported to have said, quote, There is proof of my words. That mark of mine will never be wiped out. It will remain forever to shame the county for hanging an innocent man. The handprint has been whitewashed, plastered over, and even chipped away, yet it always comes back. 
It's even told that the Catholic Church has looked into that as a relic of as a possible martyrdom of Alexander Campbell and that's that could have been a story told on the tour but it's kind of interesting I think this handprint it really has taken on something of the aura of a holy relic ghostly handprints unfairly convicted men hanged for crimes they didn't commit a sports hero interred in a town that he wouldn't have recognized and his final resting place in turmoil then of course the inn where a family on their summer vacation can't stay for a night or two without getting scared out of their wits the town of jim thorpe is a great place to visit and a great place to taste the history and at least a little bit of the fright of the Halloween season. I hope you have a happy and safe Halloween, and we'll see you next year on Agoraphobia. you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And next we have Heather Tesco from the Renaissance English History Podcast with an avant-garde recapitulation of Margaret Pohl's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Life and Death. There once was a woman whose father was executed for treason because he called the queen a witch. Her mother, the daughter of a kingmaker, died after giving birth to a little boy called Richard. She fell ill, and a wise woman administered potions, but they didn't work. Her father was grief-stricken and convinced himself that his enemy, the queen, had poisoned his wife. He was George, the Duke of Clarence, the brother of a king, one of the three sons of York, making her the niece of a king. 
Her father was given his choice of how he wanted to be executed for this infraction and his disloyalty. This was a small nod to his royal status, and he chose to be drowned in a vat of Malmsey wine. Little Margaret and her brother Edward were left orphans and went to live with their aunt. In 1487, after one king died of sickness and another died on the battlefield, the Tudor King Henry VII married her off to one of his cousins, Sir Richard Pole, who was about 15 years older than her. Later, her younger brother Edward would be killed as part of the marriage contract to bring a Spanish princess to England. The Spanish monarchs, Ferdinand and Isabella, didn't want any potential pretenders to the throne destabilizing this place where they were sending their daughter, especially after it had been through such havoc before the Tudor King. And so young Edward was killed with the pretender Perkin Warbeck. Margaret grew older and she served the same queen whose marriage to Prince Arthur had caused the death of her brother. She now had no parents and no brother. It seemed as if it was in her blood to be executed. But life went on for Margaret and she grew old. She grew into her 60s. But then her son started causing problems. A cardinal, he was educated in Rome. He was clearly plotting against Henry VIII. He wanted a Catholic back on the throne. Maybe even a Catholic who was descended from royalty such as, oh, I don't know himself. Margaret had to denounce and disown her son, which must have been incredibly painful for her to do. But then amazingly, Thomas Cromwell found some evidence suggesting that Margaret herself was involved with a plot against Henry. She was attainted as a traitor and put in the Tower of London. Initially, she was treated well. It didn't do for public opinion to have an old lady in the Tower, especially an old lady who was the niece of Edward IV, one who had suffered so much. She was housed in rooms reserved for the nobility, but she was in her 70s by this point, and it wasn't pleasant to be in the cold tower. Henry's then-wife, Catherine Howard, sent her some fur-lined clothing, so much did she pity the woman. But then there was a Catholic uprising in the north. But even worse for Margaret, the Nevilles were involved in the uprising. The Nevilles were the family of Margaret's long-dead mother, Isabel. This wasn't good for Margaret. What was also not good for her was that the professional executioners were needed in the North to deal with the rebels. Also, they needed jail cells in the Tower. There were a lot of prisoners on their way south. And there were only inexperienced apprentices to handle the executions at the Tower. And that was how Margaret met her fate in late May 1541. There are two accounts of her execution, both of them grisly. The most famous fact of her execution is that the inexperienced executioner needed 11 strokes to get her head off. That would have meant that her shoulders and the entire top part of her body would have been completely mangled. 11 strokes. Over a hundred years later, Edward Herbert, the first Baron Herbert of Cherbury and Castle Island, published a history he wrote about the reign of Henry VIII. I'm going to read you his report on her execution. Shortly after followed the Countess of Salisbury's execution, which being occasioned by the late rebellion or some new offense is uncertain. The old lady being brought to the scaffold set up in the tower was commanded to lay her head on the block, but she, as a person of great quality assured me, refused, saying so should traitors do and I am none. For turning her gray head every way she bid him, if he would have her head, to get it as he could. <coughs> so that he was constrained to fetch it off slovenly. And thus ended the last of the right line of the Plantagenets. And according to realbritishghost.com, it is said that on the night of the anniversary of her horrific death, her ghost is seen frantically running around the tower green. With blood streaming from her many wounds, she reenacts the frightful events of that day while being forever pursued by her phantom executioner. If you want to hear more stories of tutors and executions and other fun things, you can check out the Renaissance English History Podcast at englandcast.com.
www.grizzlyexecutions.com, where there's an archive of over 130 episodes. Not all of them have to do with grizzly executions. See you there. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.